This episode is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers charges margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83% rated the lowest margin fees by stockbrokers.com. Their clients can also earn extra money and income by lending their fully paid shares of stock. So join Interactive Brokers clients from over 200 countries and territories to invest in stocks and options, futures, funds, and bonds globally. Minimize your cost to maximize your returns. Rates are subject to change, of course. Learn more at ibkr.com slash compare. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. No peace in the Middle East. Big moves on earnings, Netflix, Morgan Stanley, and Tesla, and more. Our guest today, Ross Gerber co-founder of Gerber Kawasaki Wealth and Investment Management. All this and much more on episode number 839 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. What a disaster. I mean, just headwind after headwind after news drop after problem after hysteria. It just is getting harder and harder for the, the bulls to make their case. I mean, let's be honest about this. The fact is we can go and say, well, look at AI and look at earnings. Look at all the things that are happening against the backdrop. Oh, interest rates are going up and we have wars and we have supply chain issues and we have China. And, we have, and you can kind of go just so far with all this. And if you're an uber bull, you're probably scratching your head saying, you know what? What is happening? And am I on the right path right now? Well, listen, there's still plenty of pockets of opportunity out there. So that's good. But at the same time, we have to recognize that are, there are a lot of things that are creating a ceiling and four walls around us that are being very constraining in the investment world right now. Hey, it's Andrew Horowitz. And thanks for joining me here. Very excited about our guest this week, Ross Gerber. Haven't had him on the show for a while. Talked to him last few days about some of the topics that we'd bring up. And obviously, one of the big things that we're going to talk about is Tesla, because Tesla is one of his faves all time. Done very well with it. But eh, we got to talk about some of the things that are happening with Elon Musk, as well as what is going on with the company itself with regard to their inability to keep uh, margins uh, growing, growth growing, uh, possibly even looking at what the company is going to be as they have grown into a much more of a, uh, a, a, a car company rather than just a technology company. So we'll get to that. I also want to mention something uh, for all of you that I know many of you have enjoyed this. Matter of fact, on the studio desk right here next to me, I have a pad. It's uh, about 400 pages. It's kind of a more of a book. It started, let's see, uh, 325 of 2020, we started doing a webinar series. Remember that? Where we would get together on a regular basis, at least once a week, and talk about what was going on because there was a lot of uncertainty. As a matter of fact, let's talk about um, so what did I write here? Let's see. I, I haven't I haven't looked at this first page. Uh, 
325-2020. The first back-to-back gains since February 11th. Markets investors roaming around in the dark. Companies pulling guidance. Zero visibility on earnings, stimulus, and monetary adjustments. FOMO trading kicking in. Markets rallying kind of each and every day. I got just loads and loads of writings here that I wrote by hand as we were going through this very terrible time. Well, here we are three years later, two and a half years later, and uh, we've been having various webinars throughout the year, not every week, but we're going to be having one coming up. I want to make sure you know about this. It's going to be a year-end webinar. It's going to be what's in store for 2024, and it's going to be on November 15th. November 15th, we're going to do a look back, look forward, talk about where we are, where we're going, opportunities that are out there, et cetera. You're going to be able to go over to, it will be up there soon, probably by the time, I think by the time you hear this, it should be up there. We're, or if not, just check back at thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Um, you can go over and register. You have to register for the webinar. So uh, to make sure that we have everybody in there. So go over there, register for the webinar for November 15th. You can also find out more if you follow me on Twitter, Andrew Horowitz. If you, if you have Twitter, follow me there because we'll put the links in Twitter as well on how to get reserved for this webinar coming up, which I think will be dynamic. I think it's going to be good. So you don't want to miss it. Where are we now? Let's talk about where we are with the markets. Let's talk about what's happening. And obviously the elephant in the room is more than an elephant. It's, 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 it's gargantuan mortgage rates hitting 30 years 30-year mortgage rates hitting 8%, the highest since 2020, which is what, 23 years ago? 23 years ago. Where were you 23 years ago? This is just one of the concerns with the housing market, which is also causing a problem because we're seeing that existing home sales are falling hard. Builder confidence is down. We're seeing that multifamily housing is slowing dramatically. New single-family homes looking okay this week. But there's, I think there's something lurking in many parts of the country that has gone unnoticed and, and not even talked about. And it's something that, that really is, it, it brings back, it harkens back the times of 2008 when all of a sudden we had the, the condo crisis, the crash of the condos. HOAs and condo associations were unfunded for or, or, or not well-funded for many, many years. And what happened was that all of a sudden when prices either went up or people were out of jobs, it's the elasticity of ability to pay left. The opportunity for the condos to continue on with new fresh money was evaporated. The fact was that nobody could pay the condo fees and therefore people were unwilling to move in, sales dried up, and that's happened again. I've seen it recently from my very own eyes down here in South Florida and various parts around the country where they're having a similar situation. Down here, a little bit different. Other places around the country may be affordability issues. Down here is a combination of affordability due to higher interest rates, high prices, and in addition to that, extraordinarily high HOA fees due to the fact that we saw the Surfside condo collapse. We saw the various hurricanes, storms, things like that, rush through here, floods, insurance. I was looking at an HOA document just this week for a client. The insurance for the HOA, for the annual premium, was $425,000. That is now 
expected and estimated and budgeted to be for 2024, $1.5 million. That means when you spread that cost around in terms of the HOA or condo costs to each of the house uh, homeowners there, it was almost five, probably $500 a month more that they're having to pay just for insurance. Just for insurance. Now, if you're living in condos like we're talking about here, where the average condo is two hundred to 350000 and all of a sudden you budget on a strict budget what you have to pay, and now you're hit right between the eyes with an extra $500 per month. Wow. Now let's talk about that. Let's let let's let's take that to its fullest extent here. It's bad enough that it's $500 for you to pay, but what about if you wanted to sell that property? You're going to sell the property into an 8% mortgage environment, which obviously is a much higher cost of the monthly fee for the house than it was let's say 2 years ago. In addition to that, the new homeowner is going to have to absorb an additional $500 a month. So that house that maybe was worth $250,000 one year ago, the same house is going to cost an additional $1,000 a month or $12,000 a year, $500 for the excessive amount of mortgage, a 5% increase in mortgage. Just if you just do simple math, right? $100,000 mortgage, 5%. Uh, it, well, it could be even more than that. 5% on $200,000, it's $10,000 a year. Plus the $500. So you may be paying ten dollars to $15,000 a year or more for a $200,000 home that has an HOA association fee that's gone out of control. So what is going to happen? You're going to have to say, well, we're going to have to adjust the value of that price down. We're not going to be paying $250,000 for this. No, no, no. The high cost of this, just like country clubs, do the same thing. Country clubs require a massive down payment. Take it off the price of the house if it's just not desirable. Now you're going to have to pay an, a monthly cost on top of that, and no longer can you afford the house to be valued at $250. Maybe it's valued at $175 now. 150. Seriously. Now you can't sell it. And if you do sell it, where are you moving to? Because now all of a sudden you're caught in a conundrum. This is the condo crisis part two that will be coming. If rates stay this high for a very long period of time, if the governments of the various states can't get a handle on insurance and other costs that are associated with living in their state, big problems. And the problem is exacerbated by the fact that the people that will be looking to this will have to move out and then the states lose valuable tax dollars. Big problem. Think about that and, and extend that out to, okay, well, what else does that mean? Well, it means that less consumer spending, right, in, in, in that sector. You have to pay more money for your rent. So what do you end up doing, by the way? You end up not going anywhere. You can't move. You're stuck. So something that uh, will cause some breaking in the financial conditions, as I see it, banks will pull back and think about the issues that happened in 2008 and the housing crisis and all that went into that. I'm not predicting that it's going to be as bad as that. Clearly, we don't have the, 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 the layering of mortgages upon mortgages upon HELOCs upon mortgages and then you know, resold, sold, resold, sold 12 times from, from, from Monday. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But at the same time, I think that there is something to be said about the fact that there is going to be 
a very substantial reset. So keep an eye on this because we have all these other headwinds that won't give up. Something I, I, I want to discuss with Ross Gerber when he um, when he comes on. Something I think that we really need to get into that, um, talk about the Middle East and division across the world and all that. Now, what about earnings season? We're going to be talking about Netflix. I mean, we saw Netflix pop after the bell on Wednesday, right? That was pretty beautiful looking. And into Thursday, and it wasn't because necessarily it was a good quarter, because if you just strip out everything and just look at the quarter, it was like, okay, that's okay from an earnings standpoint. It was the additional subscriber add-ons. It was the increase in pricing, and it was the $10 billion buyback program that was initiated. Doesn't matter. It was still beautiful in the end. On the other side of the spectrum, we had Tesla. Awful. Something we will discuss again with Ross. But, uh, you know, this is an area we've been short for clients on Tesla. Uh, and we've done it a few different times back and forth. And this last time has been pretty good. But you got to wonder where it goes from here. We took a little bit of a profit from the position after on Thursday. And... Uh, you got to wonder where it's going from from here. But but the numbers were terrible. The Cybertruck issue is an, is a concern. Uh, margins are just getting sunk and big problems in China. Morgan Stanley, just a really concerning outlook. Down about 6% after the earnings announcement. So uh, we, we've had a good start of some of the items uh, this year. And um, then they're kind of starting to come on the other side. There's some concern about earnings. And again, up against a backdrop of high rates that won't quit. We're going to talk about that with Ross when he comes on, which is just in a moment. Before we get into that uh, too deeply, though, let's talk about some easy money ideas, shall we? Interactive brokers. You know, clients of interactive brokers earn up to 4.83% on their uninvested, instantly available USD cash balances. In fact, you know, you need to think about this because you want to, you want to know. You, you have to look into how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Compare IBKR's ability to pay you interest of up to 4.83% to other brokers. Like, it could only pay you, I don't know, half a percent? And that's just one of the many reasons clients use interactive brokers. And they trade stocks and options, of course. and they, But they could trade also futures and currencies and bonds, funds, and more. And when you're placing your money with a broker, you need to make sure your broker is secure. You need to make sure they can, they can endure good and bad times. And IBKR's strong capital position, their conservative balance sheet, and automated risk controls are designed to protect IBKR and its clients from large trading losses. Their prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you higher interest and demonstrate security and financial strength. We all know, of course, got to mention it, that rates are subject to change. Interactive brokers is a member of SIPC. I want you to visit Interactive Brokers. Visit ibkr.com slash interest rates to learn more. And our guest today is Ross Gerber, and he's the co-founder and president and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki Wealth and Investment Management, and he oversees Gerber Kawasaki's corporate investment management operations, as well as serves individual clients, and he has become one of the most followed and influential investors on social and on traditional media's all over the media expert. He's the guy that they call when uh, they need some information on Tesla. So Ross yeah. and I go back a bit. Ross, how are you, buddy? 
I'm good. Good to, to be back. Yeah. Our last podcast was pretty fun, so I was happy to, to come back. So lots going on. I mean, we have earnings uh, onslaught. We have uh, you and I in the, on the sidebar. We were talking about, I guess we'll start there, just get the, the heat right up to the boiling point. We're talking about the Fed last week when uh, last was it last Thursday that uh, we saw that Powell was speaking and all that, and it was interrupted by climate change uh, uh, activists, and he had to be escorted out of the— right. <laughs> What the hell? What's going on there? Well, certainly Powell isn't good for the economy, and he's definitely not good for the environment, right? Because so much of what we need for climate is interest rate sensitive, actually, like buying EVs or adding a solar system or battery system to your house or commercial building. People borrow to do this. And those borrowing rates have gone from 3% to 7.5%, and it's limited demand for these things, and you can see it in the stocks. And, you know, so he's real bad for the environment, and that's just a fact. So, but but how, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of go a little deeper for people that really are not understanding exactly, you know, what this is all, how this all, it's all trickling down into various industries. Right. So we've never had a situation like this in life, like American financial history, where the Fed has raised rates by 5 you know, plus percent in a year and now isn't really sure how that's going to affect the economy, nor is anybody really sure because it's never happened before. And instead of having a more gradual transition from low rates to high rates, which would make a lot more logical sense, it was just like jammed down our throat because the Fed failed to raise interest rates in November of 2021 when inflation started mm -hmm. to go higher right. and they paused doing that for... I don't know, five or six months too late, and then made up for it by massively increasing interest rates. So the question is what, what happens here? And what they've done is they've frozen the market in real estate. So if you own a home and you already have a mortgage at two to 3%, the average mortgage in America is like three and a half percent, you're not selling your home. You're just not, not moving because you, you, you just can't afford to pay seven and a half or 8% on a mortgage. So now mortgages are getting to 8%. Mm -hmm. And Nobody can afford that, so they're just not moving. No houses are for sale. Well, the good news is real estate prices haven't gone down. Well, because nobody's selling their house. The bad <laughs> right. news is nobody can buy a house. And now if you extrapolate this out to commercial real estate, for example, where let's say you own an office building that five years ago was worth $100 million and you borrowed $50 million against this at 3%. Mm -hmm. But now your loans are maturing. And now that $50 million needs to be refinanced at 8 or 9%. Okay. None of the math works on that building. So you say, well, I want to sell it. So you go out to sell it, but the same math doesn't work for the buyer. So they are saying, well, you know, based off this, we'll pay you 50 million for your hundred million dollar building. Mm. And then the person saying, well, then I lose all my equity, you know, and the bank, you know, gets their money back, but you know, I'm, I'm wiped out. So they're like, well, I'm not going to sell the building for that. So I'll just like try to struggle through this, or maybe they try to refi, and you see this with a lot of these commercial real estate companies like Hudson Pacific, where now it's like a death spiral of like, can they survive borrowing at 11? You know, people know they have financial distress. People are working from home. Their properties are less desirable. You've got all these factors. And then Powell just said a minute ago in, in his speech, like, oh, I expect some distress in commercial real estate. Well, hello. Obviously, Powell doesn't own any commercial real estate or isn't <laughs> looking to buy a home and have children like most families in America today or most millennials. 
And so in Powell's little limited academia mind, he just doesn't care if people get completely wiped out. Well, the problem is, that, you know, the problem that's is that's what he's setting up. Right. That's how he's slowing the economy, not through a gradual <laughs> change in rates, but just like wiping Sledge out hammer. certain groups of people like First Republic. So here's the thing. I mean, the difference is that you, I, um, uh, Hudson Pacific, for that matter, other they can't say, well, we're holding our assets till maturity. You know, right. we're going to sidebar this or as I think what in the private equity world, hedge fund world used to be called side pocketing. Remember that? You right. side pocket a shit asset and you put it somewhere and you're like, right, side you know, pocket. we, yeah, we had, we, we made 12% this year. Wait, wait, what about, what about that? Don't look at that. Don't, don't. Yeah, that's no, the no. garbage can. Don't look we at don't that. That's, but yeah, don't we, we own that? Not that. really. No, you don't really own it. Side, we're going to leave it there. Till I it think the SEC is requiring that private equity not do these things. <laughs> yeah, no, I get, I get it. But, but, but of course, with the power of the Fed, they could side pocket and they could allow for banks to do hold for maturity. Hold until maturity, which is the same same deal, right? I mean, it's, it's, no, like Bank of America is a perfect example. Yeah, 110 like billion. 110 billion. 110 billion of losses. Mm -hmm. They don't have to realize those losses because, well, we're holding it to maturity. Yeah. So they were like bragging about that every month they have this many bonds come to maturity and they can now reinvest it and that their interest margin will increase over time from this reinvestment. And I'm like, yeah, so in 10 years, this might be good for you. But the problem is that we don't know what rates are going to be in two years, three years from now. And so in my mind, like, how does a bank pretend they didn't lose the money that they lost? Well, because it's lost. Well, because if you're collecting two and a half percent when you could be collecting five, that loan is worth half as much. Correct. I'm sorry. Right. That's just the way it is. And so the fact that they don't have to re record these losses against the equity in their business from this fantastical hold to maturity concept is just the way the Fed manipulates the markets in a way that's completely unfair for people who actually have to pay these rates every day. Now, isn't that you know? the, now, now, now right there's the truth in it all right there, Ross, that last statement that you made, we have, we have become in the last 20 years, maybe a little less, a little bit more. We have become a market that is dependent on the, the largesse and, and on the, 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 uh, powers of the Fed rather than a market that, I mean, I said this back in 2000 and it wasn't 2000, probably 2008 or so. The, the, the ability to have price discovery is gone. I mean, well, long shot, you could find stuff and all, but I'm saying it's, it's I think distorted. that's a little extreme. Like I a hundred percent agree with the concept that if you lower rates over a 30 year period, the value of assets naturally increase relative mm -hmm. to the rates. Okay. So let's say, if you take housing, for example, well, we were talking earlier, like what it costs to actually buy a house. So let's say you could get land for really cheap and then you just like bought a house and you built, built I mean, you built a 3000 square foot house and you, you like figured out that cost, mm -hmm. you know, like that's how much a house should cost, like the cost of the land mm -hmm. and the cost of the building. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like over time, because of rates and borrowing and because you only put 20% down, the Fed controls the value of your house a lot more than the supply and demand for that neighborhood. Right. You see? And so, like, that's why this whole real estate valuation, what I would consider, like, I wouldn't say fraud, but, like, just the fact that real estate isn't marked to market is absurd because the losses are real, mm -hmm. you know? But yet, if we don't trade it, we can still call the building worth $50 million when we know it's worth twenty five. Naturally. I mean, that, right. that's the whole point. So of it. Yeah. The, we don't know what the books are for any company that owns real estate. Like what are things really worth and how productive are those assets in real life? And you're right. The Fed has taken a place in our economy that it was never meant to be. 
you know, like, like uh, people like paying attention to every word Jerome Powell says, like, what kind of world is this? Yeah, it's very, that it's, the Fed it's has so much power. So this was very much part of the Fed's playbook. And it's also part of the wealth inequality playbook mm -hmm. because who pays these interest rates? It's much more weighted to like poor and middle-class people than wealthy people because wealthy people can go to a bank and say, I'm not paying that rate. You want my business? Then you got to charge me less. And they say, fine. Or they have cash availability. Yeah. Or, or we have cash. Like yeah, I have right, cash. That's right. how I'm, I'm fixing up my house because right. nobody's loaning money. PNC bank sucks. So, you know, you go to PNC bank, they go, Oh, this, Oh, that we don't want to give you the loan. You know, well, I'm like, screw off. Right. You know, I'm just paying cash, but I mean, I you're losing money. opportunity value theoretically yeah. on the I'm like, you, you just yeah. lost a high net worth client. Right. And the best part is this high net worth client's going to say shit about PNC bank forever. And he's happen happens to be on TV all the time. Like you're doing now. You know, they're just not that smart. <laughs> One thing I'm sure of that people at the banks aren't that smart because they've had the fed making them money of for 30 years. Right. Exactly. If you want to see a complacent yep. business of total a-holes, it's bankers. Okay. Yep. Cause all, Oh, I need your loan. I need your loan. I'll give you a little lower rate. I'll give you a little lower rate. Yep. Oh, please. Oh, please. That's the relationship. We got to kiss bankers butts yep. to get loans. Like they loved it. The fed loves it. So now it's like, well, sorry, we can't loan. We're all losing money and all our assets suck. And I'm, I'm laughing my way because banks aren't going to make money for a long time. You know, if you're invested in financials, like, you know, mid-size, large-size banks, they're not going to make money for a long time, not with rates like this. Well, what happened to the, well, unless the short term comes back down and they get a yield curve bump right. and the net interest right. margin, blah, 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 blah. And the fact right. is that there is also some talk about the Fed trying to curb, which won't happen, in my opinion, uh, debit debit fee, debit card fees and things of oh, that nature. Yeah. Yeah, that's not, like I said, yeah. that's just not going to happen. The Fed. Yeah. That was like right before they want to increase wealth inequality by raising rates. Like, so now if you look at it, we were talking about this for a minute earlier. Like how do entrepreneurs function in this yeah. environment? Yeah. So like, let's say you're an immigrant, you come from Venezuela, like my architect, this guy is amazing, hardest working guy. And he's built a great career here in America. And he's trying to build up his architecture and home building business. Mm -hmm. Now you like, this is horrible for him. You know, yeah, like he, yeah. he wants to like help people build beautiful homes. He wants to hire. He comes to this country for opportunity. He's renting office spaces. You know, like, isn't that the whole point of coming to America? And then the Fed's like, oh, sorry, nobody can afford to borrow money to fix their house anymore. And you can't afford to borrow money to like grow your business. And so that's how you keep the, you know, the rich richer and, and the people who come to this country, entrepreneurs and immigrants. That's how you keep people down. It's the Fed. The Fed is the, the single most detrimental tool to equality that I have seen in a long time. But I don't think that they're necessarily, I, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on this or, or maybe not push back. I'll, I'll, I'll ask this question. Um, it doesn't seem to me that they're intentionally going after climate or intentionally going after immigration equality and things of that nature. It's a byproduct of their really, really terrible um, overall policies. Right. And, and, and just the same, you know, it's like collateral damage in a war. Like it wasn't our intent to kill all those civilians either, but you know, we yeah. had to kill the terrorists. Right. So, you know, like the fed could easily take some sort of like moral high ground, like, 
this is to beat inflation and inflation affects everybody and especially poor people, which is true. And so by getting those people fired from their jobs, now they won't have wage increases to worry about and they will, and their food costs will stay stable. That's the Fed's thinking, yep. you know, like, like inflation is really bad for people, but the inflation we're seeing is actually wage inflation for the same people. And that's so, why, and that's why strikes, you're going to see, I, I predict this on my other podcast and we talked about this at length. Strikes are going to be continually have a, a a continuation of strikes everywhere because people looking. Let me get this straight: UAW they're getting forty percent. Oh, the uh, airline pilots got thirty percent over forty percent over three years. And what's going to happen is people go, I, I, I need more money. So what they're going to do is they're going to strike. They're going to try to break the balls of the companies. They're going to strike. They need more money to live because prices are higher. They're going to get that, and then they're going to spend money, which is going to make prices higher. It's a real correct. It's a, it's and that's a, why nobody's agreeing to these deals. Yeah. Because all these companies know it's like, well, our company might not exist in five years if I sign this deal. Yep. Because we all know that the economy is slowing. And so now I'm guaranteeing four and 5% wage increases to large. This is what the Fed, like, it's literally contrary policy. Biden goes out and pickets. And then the Fed says, I don't want wage increases. It's literally contrary policy. It is. Right? It is. It is. Uh, it, is the, it is the. So, the, so the what's going to happen is, is look at Netflix. Okay. Netflix rallying today because normally they spend 17 billion on content, but because of the SAG strike and the writer strike, they're only going to spend 13 billion. So 4 billion that would have gone to all these people isn't going. And where did that 4 billion go? It went right back to shareholders. Netflix stopped up 55 points today. Netflix, huge profits. Nobody's canceling their Netflix. In fact, they're actually raising prices. They're raising during prices. The strike is a way yep. to just spit in the faces <laughs> yeah. of SAG and their stupid unions. And then the okay? other thing is they're also doing that's what it is. Yeah, they're doing a $10 billion buyback. I mean, they're, they're coming out we of We don't strong. need these workers. <laughs> yep. They can make movies in Poland. Okay. Yep. They can make movies in India. I watch South Korean shows all day long. Oh, yeah. I don't need a bunch of spoiled actors in LA making movies. Yep. Okay. Yep. If they don't like their money, they can go wait tables. That's actually paying $25 an hour today. Okay. Yep. So like, I just, I just, I'm so tired of these unions. They're like, like, you know, who was on strike the other day here were the people who clean the office buildings. Okay. Oy. Now I go into my office. I got gnats flying around because they're not cleaning my office. It turns out. And they're actually just on strike because like, and I'm like, how would you demand wage increases? There's literally nobody in our office building. And then the office that's full, you don't actually clean well. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, then you got the, and these you got people the casino are workers that start. And they're striking yeah. in Spanish, yeah. yelling stuff in Spanish. They're, all their signs are in Spanish. I didn't even know what they were striking for. Now, fortunately, I watch Spanish Netflix shows, so I understand Spanish. And like, And I'm like, you guys don't even speak English. You can't even strike in the language of the country you're striking in and you want, and you're demanding wage increases. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is America. No, this, this is well, America. It, we, we, Americans we, today where Hamas murders children and people on campus protest for Hamas. It's unbelievable. That's America it's today. Un, it's un, Listen, we, we have a very twisted environment. I will give you something and this, I don't want to go into but a whole thing. I like thing this about when it. I grew up. Yeah. No. And I'll tell you something else. I, I, I think the single most. I graduated from college. I begged for a fucking job. Of course. I begged for any of course. job. I think Anything. the single most detrimental yeah. selling mutual funds yeah, for listen, commissions because there were no jobs. I, I was I was delivering pizza in college. I, I was I did I, that too. I, I know it. You know, I was I was actually I told my family the story all the time that when I got my job, I used to save all the um, coins 
and somehow they managed to get in the couch. I would collect every coin on Sunday, you know, between paydays, and that's what would be my dinner, the stuff that I collected yeah. during the week and all that. That was like your savings plan. That was it. That was my, was my It was like a weekly savings plan, my Sunday night dinner plans. Dude, but, I was so motivated when I was like 23 and I had like no job that I was like selling mutual funds on commission mm -hmm. in IRA accounts. And like, I was like, I literally like had no money. Like I had I no understand. money. And like, like you'd go on job interviews and they just like look at you and be like, no. And you're like, what do I have to do to get a job in this country? You know? And then when I started working in, in the securities industry, I grew my office and, you know, about five years later I was doing interviews and the rooms would be packed with people trying mm -hmm. to get a job. Yeah. Packed. Yeah. You know, yep. It's like literally opposite today. So part of this like rate hike and pain that the feds causing is necessary. I hate to say it. Of course. There has to be of course. a better equilibrium between employers and employees because it's gotten so out of hand. I mean, you got a Roblox CEO saying, if you don't come to work, I'm going to fire you, you know? Right. And I'm like, like what, do you mean what come world to work? is it where the employees say, yeah. I'm not coming in <laughs> yeah. to their CEO? They're getting paid 250 grand a year, and they're like, I'm not coming in. Right. It's you crazy. Know, I'd rather get fired. But I blame this. I blame in. a lot of this on- That's a broken system. The proliferation and the creation and the use and the twisting. I, I, a lot of this is social media based. I think, so, I think social media has got to be one of the worst to give the opportunity. Now, people are going to get mad at me for this and they're going to say, what about you, Horowitz? You got your own podcast. Yeah, you got I, a podcast. Yeah, I think so. I'm on social too. <laughs> right. For I money. Think, for I, money. Right. But I think that the worst idea ever was to give everybody a mouthpiece and ability to talk equally about things in life and then to hold each of them in equal stature of intelligence. Yeah, you mean like Twitter now? Well, that Twitter's broken. Like I'm anybody sorry. can be verified, so you got to. I don't even know. I, I like can't you even. You can't comment if you don't pay eight bucks, but but any idiot can pay eight bucks and be an influencer. I something. don't even understand the whole Twitter thing. To be honest, I think it was a really. I I, I know you have a very deep uh, knowledge of. And we'll get into this discussion now about Tesla and and, and Elon and stuff. Right. I don't understand what happened. I don't understand what what I don't know what where. What happened is the guy who doesn't know anything about social media is running a social media company. I don't know. I think it was like a, a, a one of those midnight snack fest or something that he's like, oh, I'll do this. And he just got caught up in it and he did it. It just seemed like the well, worst I deal think, ever. I think, I think we also have to know what we're good at, what we're not good at. So I think, and I know because I dealt with this when they were starting with this thing with Twitter and Elon saw Twitter as an engineering, you know, problem and solution and algorithmic. And I see social media as social and media. And, you know, Elon isn't good at social or media. And so it was like, you know, from my perspective as a media person, I was like, you know, this is not a technology solution, although there's stuff you can do with technology that'll make Twitter better, I'm sure. That's the easy part. The hard part is like moderating content and all the stuff. So he's like, he calls himself a free speech absolutist, but he seems to demur from the fact that people don't really enjoy spending their time with hate speech either, you know? Right. And so like, if you're gonna charge people and compete against Netflix, and other sources of entertainment or news, you want that experience for people to be mostly positive in my mind. And that's just not what's happening because if you let every idiot have an opinion and you share that with everybody, that experience is, is unfortunately not that great in this country. So he's created a horrible experience, uh, social media. Yeah, I, think I, I would argue that social media makes cigarettes look like nothing. Well, the other problem is I know for a fact, I, again, I know, I'm going to tell you a story. I know this for a fact. I know people that watch TikTok 
And and TikTok is very much uh, at, at the ends of the earth of of reality. Right. Uh, and and they, they tell you things and it's, uh, you know, there's some interesting things on this. Like, and you know, I've seen these like, oh, my gosh, this guy comes on. He says, I didn't know you could do this like this. Turn the ketchup bottle like this. Squeeze this way and look at how it comes out. Yeah. Like, okay, great. Okay. But then you got mixed in there. The people say, you know what? If you drop a little bit of this borax into your water every single day and you drink it, it's very healthy for you. You know, things like that. And people are like, Did oh. Did you see the article today? People don't want to give vaccines to their pets now. They're <sighs> like. They're like, I don't, I don't trust the rabies vaccine with my dog. Right. And people know this because and I'm literally like, <laughs> you are so fucking dumb. You didn't even go to high school. And now you're analyzing whether your dog needs a rabies vaccine. You know how many dogs have died from a rabies vaccine? Zero. Yeah. I don't think any of them. This right? is, this is th what has gone on. And then the other thing is that people are, are, I don't want my dogs. I, I can tell you vaccines. about people I've seen that will, um, they won't take a vaccine, but they'll listen to TikTok and put borax into their drink. Well, the crazy <laughs> things that that people don't don't trust vaccines, you know, like right. that's the crazy thing to me. Like, I've taken all these vaccines, you know, like they're some of the greatest inventions in human history, you know. Like I, I polio, hear I hear you know, they got this cure for malaria they're working on right now. Imagine if they they have something that really fights malaria, like how that would affect people in Africa and stuff. It, it's it's massively positive. I mean, we would all be dead at, you know, 17 if it weren't for medicine. You know what I mean? Of course. And so, so like what I think, which I don't express often because it's not that palatable that the decline in our education system started under Reagan 30 years ago. And the, the lack of investment in all levels of education across the United States has finally caught up to us. And Trump was the, the first manifestation of this idiocy. And now I'm fully convinced that, and if you look at ACH, uh, ACT scores that just came out, uh, in, since Trump was president, the ACT scores of, of young people have dropped in half. I think some of that also has to do with maybe the difference in the change in education during the COVID and all that. I think this has something to do with it. So I would buy that other than COVID has been over for two years and the numbers keep dropping. Well, that's because they still were getting people that went through the educational system during the COVID, right? They were, they were in, let's just call it ninth grade. You that's think it. people that were learning nothing actually missed anything in a year? I, I don't know. It seems like it's, 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 something's not right. You missed something. I mean, no, I know there's just getting dumber I, and dumber. I know and the dumber. older, the older I get, the dumber I get, right? In terms of test really? taking, test taking abilities and things oh, like no, that. That's different. That's, that's yeah, what I'm talking yeah, about. That, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. older test I get, the more like, oh, no, no, I can't. With age, I can't. Yeah. I can't learn that. No, I'm not. I'm not learning that now. I, yeah. I actually take tests purposefully <laughs> uh -huh. just to like yeah, you got to. try to keep my brain good at test taking. Yeah, you have to you know? because it's very difficult. Like I have. I was thinking about taking like another like license or something just to force myself to study. Yeah. But then I started doing my kids' homework. You know, like my wife doesn't do homework. And so like, I actually like it. And so but, now my kids, in, you know, I don't know, fifth grade or something. So like math is like relatively like not challenging for me, but for him. And like, it's kind of fun doing his homework again. And like, wait, 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 when you say this, hold on. when you say doing his homework, let's clarify, helping him do his homework or doing his homework. Well, to help him, <laughs> a lot awesome. of times I have to figure out what he's doing. Okay. Because like, checking. I haven't done algebra in a long time. Yeah. You know, like, this is what I'm saying. I'm reaching back into the cobwebs of my brain, mm -hmm. here, you know? Yeah. And so it, I, I usually have to look at it for a couple minutes before I, I help him with it. 
because it's no help if I'm trying to figure it out at the same time he's trying to figure it out. Uh, well, just so, wait till you have to so do. I'll look at his homework. Just try wait. to figure it out. Yeah. So that when he does it, I can help him. Just just wait. Like, you, you have to do trig and calc again. That that's right. gonna your head's gonna blow up. No, I'm excited <laughs> for it. I'm excited. To, you know, like I I I was good at that stuff. You let, know, let's, and, and, you know let, but now let's talk about math. Great segue. Let's talk about math. Something that I understand. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know tell well, you. Well, my kid. Well, just a thing. My kid finally figured out. You know, I went to UPenn, and my kid finally figured out. He's old enough that that's actually like a really hard school to get into. Yeah. So he was finally impressed with his father once. And did and you see like, Rowan? Yeah, By the way, know, I was like I was like kid. I was really good at school, and you have no excuse. You know, you're talking like, about UPenn. Do you talk? Did you see? Did you did you watch the interview with Mark Rowan? Um, I didn't watch. I know oh, what's going on at UPenn, and I've been good. involved. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I've been involved. I'm 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 so disappointed with the Ivy League education system. I'm ready to basically disavow our our Ivy League education system. Like I I feel like once again I have views that I I really don't want to sp- express publicly. You know, my my stepfather was the chancellor of UCLA for ten years. Mm. And I've been very close in the education system and seen what's gone on at UCLA over the last 10 years, now 15 years, because he's been retired for maybe 20 since he's been retired. But like, um, it started happening when he was chancellor and we worked very hard to offset the terrorist infiltration of our education system. And, and that, and there's no other like spin on it. The terrorists have infiltrated our education system and our spread, you know, really damaging, you know, concepts to, young people who are vulnerable and, and obviously not smart enough to parse out reality. And it's created a huge wave of anti-Semitism and racism in our, in our nation, in our country. And it's, it's a real big, really sad, really sad. Yeah. Let's go back to math for a second. Uh, I have to um, quickly tell you that I have been short Tesla over the last uh, month and a half. Uh, two you. months for clients, and that has worked out. We've gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Tesla comes out with earnings. I, I've I've been sitting there the whole time as Tesla's been sitting at the, the let's call it the, the the level of the last few weeks prior to the earnings, right? I'm like, I right. don't understand. What's the excitement here? Where's the support? I'm talking about near-term, not talking about long-term. Uh, right. You know, we know that there's going right. to be margin pressure because it's – it's, 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 there's no clearer point in life than the fact that there was margin pressure going to be on Tesla during this earnings season, you know, with the dropping well, prices and all that. Right. Right. If the, you're cutting prices, there's no question. From so, so, right? so we know, and we look at the margin trends and we see that, you know, Elon has been very vocal by the way, it being what I would say is, is, is the most concerned I've ever seen him with regard to the outlook due to rates. That's something that's been he's been talking about, right? You know what the hell's going on? What's going on? And then the Cybertruck issue. Obviously, he got into a little bit of a quagmire with that from production. Let's talk about what he the does up- that all, all the time. I understand. He, he kind of draws it back, and who knows? Let's talk about Tesla. You still love it, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there. Look, I started investing Tesla ten years ago. I was just looking at my personal portfolio. My my cost base is like two dollars and fifty cents a share. That's good. You know, I've made a hundred <laughs> times my money. Yep. Yep. I made I, a lot of ways I've made my career on Tesla, which isn't really a hundred percent true because my first stock really was Apple mm-hmm. that really made my career in a lot of ways. Um, being a long-term investor in Apple for clients. And, sure. And then I've had a lot of success with stocks like NVIDIA, which we've been a long-term investor in mm-hmm. as well as Netflix um, and some others. But Tesla has been one of our biggest winners because it was also a large position for us over the last um, let's say five or six years. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to sound like ungrateful or like, you know, Elon's done a phenomenal job building a company that sold less than a hundred thousand vehicles to now, let's say close to 2 million. Yes. Okay. 
So when I started with Tesla- Per year, by the way, all, just to be clear, he's talking about per year. Per year. Per year. So when well, I started with Tesla, yeah. you know, it was like, oh, we might make, you know, 75 or 80,000 Model S's. So the progress of this company and the success of this company has been enormous. And we've been widely, you know, profitably part of that relationship, mm -hmm. despite the often many painful experiences dealing with, with Elon's behavior, whether it's calling people pedo guy or, or, oh, you know, I buying that. solar city or. Well, I remember know, that too with his cousin, right? Kimball yeah. was Kimball. Yeah, like solar, yeah. solar has never made them money. Right. You know, it's like, it was, was a bad, a bail, that was a bailout. That was a bailout. Yeah. Sorry. And at the time I went on TV and I said, this sucks. You know, it's fortunately only paid 2 billion for it. So he didn't actually pay a lot for it, but like it was bankrupt, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so we all know now that Elon runs Tesla, like it's his own company. It shouldn't be a public company in theory. He didn't want it to be a public company and it, it sh probably shouldn't be because the board of directors is a joke and Elon does what he wants to do, including firing Zach Kirkhorn, who was probably one of the best executives in Tesla history. And now the new CFO reminds me of the CFO from five or six years ago who sucked. And basically if you say anything to Elon, he doesn't like you lose your job. This is not a way to run a long-term business. And, it got him to where he is. But as I tell many people, what gets you to where you are isn't always what gets you to that next level, you know? And that's where Elon's limitations have finally caught up to him. So the stock is extremely high, highly valued. So for somebody who's short the stock, when you're looking at something and trading at 75 times earnings and margins are being compressed, that seems like a fairly easy play. Um, and that, you know, our position is a long-term position with mostly gains in it, where if I sell it for most of my clients, I have to pay 30 to 40% in taxes. So that's a consideration in our position in that of our hundred million in Tesla, it's about 90 million of gains, you know? Right, right, right. And, and so I've given the government enough money from, from Tesla. And for us, it represents about 4% of our assets, let's say. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting though. But for an investor who buys Tesla stock today at, 50 times forward earnings. It's one of the most expensive stocks in the market. And the CEO isn't doing anything that looks like it's going to meaningful increase earnings. Right. So you look, at, so you look, at, you look at like Facebook, for example. Issue. Yeah. You have Mark Zuckerberg who then brings in people, knows his limitations to a degree that he's basically a, a humanoid uh, and, and it can bring things up <laughs> to a certain he? point. Maybe, I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. But, uh, and, and then he, and he, he brings in people or, or for the, well, look at Google, right? Google, Eric Schmidt, they brought in Eric Schmidt. To run to run Google uh, because right. the founders were like, you know what? I think we've reached our level, um, and unfortunately, I guess the personality of Elon is he he's he's the smartest man he knows in the world, and for sure, and and, and that is seemingly a problem. But okay, fine, let's get beyond. Yeah, but that. see, like smart people also know where their limitations are. I, I hope I I try to be very conscious of mine. Like, fortunately, I'm married and I have six other partners who are happy to point it out, and I don't fire them. For pointing it out. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Right. Like I go through these very painful experiences for me listening to criticism and it's painful for me and I listen. And you grow. I try. I, grow. I do. I, I really First do try. try and they look grow. at me and they, they really actually appreciate that I try. And, and I, I have enough errors in my life to know that I'm not perfect. You yeah. know? Yeah. And, yep. and I know what I'm good at. You know, for example, but one thing I definitely think I'm good at is dealing with the pain of listening. People criticize me because <laughs> they do every day yeah. on Twitter. And he's an expert uh, in know, getting criticism. 
<laughs> yeah. So I think when you're as lucky as I am, you know, I, I I'm a pretty lucky guy in my life and you know, it's okay to listen. So what yeah. about, but where are we going with Tesla? What is the point? I mean, uh, uh, is it going to be, we going is, 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 is it going to be, um, it, I mean, it's seems, a mature company. It's, what, it's what, a big what? company. It's a 600 billion, $800 billion company that certainly is not, not big. I mean, it's gigantic. It's enormous. Massive, it's enormous. Right. And they're doing a hundred billion in revenue. Right. So you got like, say a seven times revenue multiple. There's nothing wrong with Tesla. Nothing wrong with it. I have no problem. The cars are beautiful. Right. Listen, the Cybertruck so, will come so out. So the we'll issue is how do they go to being a $150 billion revenue company, right? Mm -hmm. And the question is, like, is that possible when they're not advertising? And in my opinion, it's not. Like, everybody who bought an EV owns an EV, wants an EV. Now you got to create demand. There's a lot of ICE drivers out there who don't realize the benefits of driving an EV and, and Tesla has to spend some money educating the market. They have plenty of money. And I think if they educate the market, people will buy the cars and they can get to 150 billion. I think it's just a lot of, I think the first thing you should do is a lot of podcast advertising. Well, po you know, <laughs> podcast advertising works. Yeah, and, you know, that's why I do podcasts. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, when I first started doing podcasts, I didn't think anybody listened to these things. And then I started doing podcasts. I don't know. It was like three, four years ago. And sure enough, like tons of people listen to podcasts, yep. it turns out. Yep. And it's actually, I get more, feedback from podcasts than they do from national television. So, so there's something to that. I mean, I but have people I, I was out to dinner with the other night and the other couple like, Oh, I listen to you every week. I'm like, really? And then other people yeah. said I was in, somebody was telling me they were in England and all these people said that they heard him as a guest on my show. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of fascinating. Yeah. Let's switch people, gears. Switch. Like people don't just like turn on like channel four news anymore. You know, yeah, like they're, they're who, who seeking information. It's hard to find good information now. So I agree. I think good information sources have more value than ever. I want to finish it up with um, a discussion of AI because we came into once again, a market narrative that was just pumped and jumped and shoved down everybody's throat that this whole AI, by the way, it happened in a split second, all of a sudden in one day that we saw that one thing of AI came out that everybody else had something and everybody right. had to promote the their AI. App. Yeah. It was, it, it was, was just out of app. nowhere that seemingly everybody was working on in the secret of all secrets. And then all of a sudden one day it's like, Hey, we all got AI. Um, and interesting, fascinating. I still don't think the markets really understand what AI actually is. And if in 100%. fact the AI companies even know what AI is either uh, that is calling machine learning and automation algorithms. It's like, oh, that's AI. But we see things like uh, everybody rushing to buy NVIDIA chips as an example. And everybody, right. there was a great study that I read that if you had AI talked about in your conference calls this year, your stock outperformed by a significant margin, the average stock that didn't talk about it. Even it Campbell like Soup. All the companies became Bitcoin companies. Of like course. Yeah. yeah. Dot, 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 CO, dot, ICO, whatever. And then, and so, so where are we with this? And, and, Let's start with the reality check and then let's come up to uh, what the opportunity is. Right. So as a technology thematic investor, this is our specialty. You know, like what are the major themes that transform technology? And that's over my three decades as an investor, that's why I'm wealthy is because of technology. Mm -hmm. And so it started in my first decade. And this reminds me of it with AOL. And oh. when AOL came out, it was pretty janky, you know, like dial up was pretty janky and, but it was like revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And when I got my hands on AOL email and word processing and news, I was like game changer. Yeah. And I had a laptop from Dell and gateway. Big one. Computer. Oh, the gateway laptop, the big one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Microsoft was like 
put in software like operating systems and like word processing and Excel. You know, I remember my boss was using Lotus. Lotus one, two, three. Of course. Lotus one, two, three. Yeah. Oh, and he used it for a long time. Of course. We fought and fought and fought because he just did not want to get off Lotus. I understand. And I was like, dude, completely. I literally had these arguments. I know. So when I showed up at my first day at work in investing in 1994, June of 94, and I, it wasn't my first day, but a few weeks later, I brought in my laptop and everybody looked at me like, what are you doing? This is a distraction. Get back on the phone. We don't use these weird things here, you know? And I, why are you bringing a TV to the office, Ross? Yeah. We looked at the TV. That was how we got news. And so there were T it was a TV and a typewriter. And I said, one day there's going to be a computer on every desk. And everybody kind of laughed at me. And then the next generation, I said, one day we're all going to have a cell phone. And everybody laughed at me. And then I said, one day we're all going to have Netflix. And everybody laughed at me. And one day we're all going to be using AI like normal. Okay. And so the question is, what is AI? Right. What, mm -hmm. like, what is it? And why is it so transformative? And why is Sergey back at Google working his butt off because of AI? You know, why is Elon now talking about AI more than he's talking about EVs? Why is every tech leader in the world all pumped up? Okay, well, let's get into it. So the bottom line is with computing, so I spent a lot of time trying to understand this because, you know, people ask me about it, A, and B, I'm not an engineer. I'm an investor. So it's a little bit different in that I don't fully understand the technical elements of everything. So I have to ask people for help. Fortunately, my stepfather is an engineer and a top engineer, and he works a lot with Harvard and other places where I can get access to information that's very helpful. So he sent me something on machine learning, and then I spent a lot of time listening to Elon and trying to learn from Tesla. And so I, I just caution, I, I would not call myself an expert in these, these areas of from the technical perspective. So a lot of what I talk about is like theoretical as far as like what's possible. So with databases in the past, like Oracle or, or AWS, like Amazon, is like basically I would rent out a server and put my data on the server, and then I would query it when I need it, you know, mm -hmm. like a website. Yep. So if I put a website on AWS, they like hold this data, and then somebody searches for my website on Google, and then Google brings up my website and says, this is the website that's most trusted based off Google's algorithm for determining what is most relevant to you. And then you can pay Google to put less relevant stuff up at the top. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was like revolutionary at the time. And I remember when Google came out, I didn't quite get it. And I was late to that party, but I eventually did get it and made a ton of money on Google. And so with AI, all of a sudden you take all this data that's just like sitting and you say, well, maybe I can do something with this data versus waiting for it to be queried. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, uh, Amazon, Oracle, Salesforce, Uber, Toast, you know, all these companies that just gather data, tons of it, Yeah, you know, like LPL, my financial, you know, or Bloomberg, like I use Bloomberg. Bloomberg has so much potential with AI, it's unbelievable. So you take all this data and you feed it into a system, right? Well, then people query it, like on Bloomberg, you can use the same system that's been around for 20 years, query data with weird codes. And then it brings up like every piece of stock market data you ever want. Mm -hmm. The problem is it hasn't learned anything about what I actually want out of Bloomberg. Right. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a new, it's a new sensation every time you do it. 
There's, right. there's no, there's no, there's no. It, it, right. So like when I trade on, I trade my ETF through Bloomberg too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cause they have a trading platform that's connected to my custodians and it's super cool. Like I love my Bloomberg. So I'm sitting here thinking, but every time I do something, Bloomberg really doesn't learn anything from it. So it can't tell me when I log in tomorrow that based off the stuff that you look at, here's the news that's most relevant. To right. You. Bloomberg is like the equivalent of the movie 50 first dates. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? But but same with all websites in Correct. some degree. Correct. And, right. And so like the idea is now how do I make this smart? Well, I've got to train it. Okay. Like I got to train it how to like, so it, it starts with what they call large language models, which is what chat GPT is. And it was like, well, let's train this thing, how to like understand how to talk and write and understand humans better by like feeding the entire library into this computer. So machine learning, the, the basically they fed like every book ever written into the computer memory. And then it like read every book that's ever been written. And then when you say, write me uh, a paragraph about, you know, uh, Northrop Grumman, you know, weapon systems, then it just queries that information. But now it has a model to like give you back that information in a much more logical manner Mm -hmm. through language. Right. You see? And so all of a sudden every database in the world can be like a hundred times more useful to everybody. And that efficiency and productivity could actually be amazingly powerful. So at my firm, for example, we have been using Salesforce. We put in tons of data. So Salesforce could then add AI capabilities to this data and say, well, and looking at all of your client interactions, this data set of clients needs to be serviced better and you need to reach out to them more often. Mm. Okay. Mm. So like it could be even like they're talking about writing ads for products and things like that where, so if computers can learn how to like write and talk better than we do, because we have some limitations in our vocab and our, and our, you know, writing abilities and things like that, like all of a sudden, like I'll give you an example for my kid. I immediately started showing him how to use AI mm. boy. And I'm going on these like middle school things. Mm-hmm. And the first question I like stumping teachers with now is what is your policy on AI? The schools don't know what to do yet. But if you ask a kid to write a report on the civil war today, it's a waste of time. Total waste of because time. Because he can go in and say, tell me what are the most important things that happened in the civil war and summarize them for me in three paragraphs mm-hmm. and it'll be done. You know, that, that's and a so big problem like, in, in higher in education across the whole board. I mean, it used to it's be, it's not a problem at all. It's actually a great thing because the concept of education of just being regurgitation. Okay. W- it will not work anymore. So but if remember they, they like but you if, go to wait, school. How, how do they benefit if they just copy and paste that? Well, no, what we have to teach our kids is critical thinking oh, and like yes. what, okay. what data is actually valuable. And maybe the information we're getting isn't accurate. Like how do we, Check that information is accurate. You know, that would be a wonderful skill for that, people to that, have, that would be, think? That would be, that would take my conversation about social media and put it on its end. Because right. if you could figure out what is truth from fiction and lies and twisting and, right. and, and manipulation, then all of a sudden you have the real facts. And it's and, 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 and that, that's exactly what we have to go through. For example, I say this all the time, bank earnings come out. Nobody knows what the hell they mean. Right. <laughs> no, the banks don't even know what they mean, but we're like, okay, they beat, I guess. Okay. That's good. You know? <laughs> so, well, right. I mean, and, and so like, so the idea is we've like spent like billions of dollars gathering all this data. That's kind of worthless. Like it just doesn't do anything for us. Medicine is a perfect example. 
Doctors are not really good at analysis. They use their experience to make decisions. Now, if you have a great doctor who has great experience, that's fine. But if you have an okay doctor, that's dangerous. Sure. You know? Yeah. So we know that, let's say, let's take breast cancer. Like millions of people have had breast cancer mm -hmm. over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we can literally look and like feed into a computer everything that's happened to all these people based off every treatment that's given. Now, in a traditional computer, we might say, like, give us the data on yeah. stuff. Right. How many died? How many were sick? How many got better? And what treatments did they take? Okay. But there's so many other factors to consider. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Risk factors, age, uh, genetic factors, da, da da da. So all of a sudden, to really get that data to be accurate, the amount of information you have to feed and learn from is like beyond what researchers can do on their own. Right. And so all of a sudden, yeah. you could just teach the machine, you know, like genetic factors, this, that, that, and then then rerun it again. Yeah, and regional and say, factors and things of that nature. Yeah, you go from a two D. You go from a 2D to an 8D. now subsets yep. of data that yep. no human could ever analyze correctly. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yep, yep, yep. Can now be analyzed by a computer through large language models, through learning, and through massive data sets. And that's what NVIDIA and, and the people buying NVIDIA chips are, are trying to do. And that's what Tesla is doing with full self-driving. And it's the same idea. So full self-driving is like the first real application of AI in a real-world environment that can save tons of lives because humans are really bad drivers. Mm -hmm. Like, we're just not good at driving and, and, and a hundred people die every day. So like if we can like make 50 people die a day instead of a hundred because of technology, that's like a huge win for society. So cars need to learn like how to drive better. And the only way to learn how to drive is just like training a 16 year old, but a 16 year old isn't a good driver in the insurance world till you're 25. Right. Right. So between 16 and 25, you're a high risk driver. Right. And I would argue even 25 to 35, you're still a high risk driver. Okay. But how far so away from reality are we with all this in, in full integration? I mean, is this, should the stocks Soon. that we saw going up as fast as they went up? All right, NVIDIA will say that they got a lot of orders and everything. I got that. I got that. But let's- No, no, let, but it's all happening like soon because we have the data, but we just have to train the computers. And that's what the GPUs do. We just have to train the computers on like, what's this data worth now? You know, like Toast knows everything that's happening in restaurants, right? By the way, do you like Toast? Because I like Toast as a company. I do. I, you stock, know, I, don't, I, don't, like, I don't like it. the stock, but I, I, we own it. Right, I don't own it own for it, yeah. the, the company or yeah. my clients. I own a really small position for myself mm -hmm. because I think it's it's cheap and I, I like, I think they're going to be an AI winner because yeah, like, agree. if I'm a restaurant, my biggest issue is like ordering food and making sure I have the right food, like that's fresh every day. And if I have wasted food, it's a loss or too little food, it's a loss. And so if it says like on Wednesdays, people, you know, typically order more salads, but on Thursdays, they eat more pizzas. And, you know, it's like, this is what we've learned through all the data from all your deliveries and all your stuff. You know, it's like, wow, this is really helpful, you know, versus me looking at data and trying to come up with the sure. same sort of inferences. Sure. And so it's an increase in productivity, not per se in result, you know, so for me, I'm constantly looking at data as a business owner and like that data is, in, that's why we implemented Salesforce, you know, but like how many appointments everybody sets every week and how many keep and what percentage is that and let's improve that percentage, you know, that's typically how we, we look at data. But if it's like, well, this is why this is happening based off a much bigger data set. Yeah. That's super helpful for me. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So Salesforce could be a huge beneficiary out of it. And that's what 
Benioff would say, because he's like, all I do is collect data on companies and sales. Well, boy, we can easily start giving you really valuable information about what we're learning from your data. So that makes using Salesforce more valuable to the person, that, to the companies, to the people that use it. And it's an indirect benefit, let's just call it for a moment, of why you want to use Salesforce, right? Okay, Salesforce, you could do this and we're better at it than this. Then you have the other companies like Microsoft that's putting a $30 per, per user price tag on right. on, GPT-4. On, yeah, on, on basically integration of things like um, the high-end use of like in Teams meetings, doing recordings, summarizations, follow-up, emails, yeah. automation, yeah. crazy shit like that, right? Yeah, we do these meetings. Like if we could get like summaries of the meetings just automatically made, from teams. Yep. It's there. Like, that's phenomenal. It's there. I just, I, I do just, investment meetings. So like then I could put that out right. for people, you right. know, right. like I was thinking also, cause I have to write these like quarterly things for my ETF and they send it to me like first, you know, and then it's like, I have to remember all the different things I did for the last quarter uh -huh. and why, you know, yep. like it could just say like you traded these stocks and on those days and this and that. And so it, like, it would just make the whole, and then I'd be like, summarize, like my investment actions over the last quarter and it could just write the report for me, save me so much time. Yep. And be probably more accurate. And it already <laughs> knows what I did. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yep. It's like you added Lulu, you sold on, you know, you, you trimmed your position in Nike to add to Lulu. Well, that worked out pretty good because it got added to the S and P blah, blah, yeah, blah. That was, that was you a know? good one. That was a good one. Um, so, so yeah. what, what, uh, and, and Nike's, by the way, Nike's move off the bottom has been pretty fascinating also. Right. Yeah, but Nike just, Nike's got big problems. They're not in athleisure. This is what got me to lower my position. Yep. They just have missed the boat that that Lulu is on. Which is unbelievable because Nike was on the boat forever. It's forever. And their clothes are great <laughs> yes. in theory, but their clothes suck now. I like their sneakers. They're like, people sneakers. don't wear Nike clothes. Like, why aren't women walking around wearing Nike clothes? They even I didn't know they had clothes. There you go. Well, in some areas, they don't wear yeah, much clothes anymore, exactly. which I certainly am not going to complain about yeah. unless I had a young daughter, but yeah. I don't. Let's uh, let's close this up with, you talked about a few times about your ETF. It's ticker GK. Um, top holdings are some of the names you, you just mentioned, by the way. Is this is a big, wh wh why do you do that? Why did you do the ETF route? Well, because I like pain, you know? No, um, <laughs> there's, there's really a handful of reasons. I mean, I assume it's so you get smaller investors can invest because of minimums and all that. That's a big issue. Well, yeah. I mean, we work with small investors anyways at my firm, but what it was is there's a lot of people who don't want financial planning help. Like they're just like, we're not moving our money to you guys, but we want to invest, you know? Mm -hmm. So a, a good chunk of our ETF are, are just small investors at Robinhood or Schwab or, you know, and they manage their own money. So like when you run a financial firm like mine, you have to move your money to us for us to manage it. Right. You know? Yeah. And a lot of people are happy with the, now with Schwab, we have a Schwab agreement so we can take over your Schwab accounts. No problem. You know, but like, you know, a lot of people are just do it yourselfers and they want to invest in our themes and invest in climate and invest with me. Um, but they're just not looking for financial planning help, which would certainly help them, but it is what it is. So we wanted to address that market. And when we started it, if you recall in 21, stock pickers like me were the most popular people in town. So it was kind of easy, you know, to get business in 21 because mm -hmm. everybody was trading stocks, including Dave Portnoy. Um, oh. You know, oh. I, I also knew in my heart that this would be a very difficult thing because when everybody's so optimistic, it's usually at the top of the market. Turned out it was. Um, so I got the unfortunate timing of, you know, starting my ETF at the top of the market. Now, the second reason I started the ETF, which had nothing to do with small investors, had to do with tax consequences. 
really it was explained to me because after we had this in 21, we had made so much money on Tesla. Remember now Tesla's at 400 mm-hmm. yep. and I'm selling off Tesla stock and taking profits and we're paying taxes left and right. And this guy, Noah advisor shows calls me up and says, you know, if this was all in an ETF, you could have done what's called a custom basket and avoided capital gain taxes. And I'm like, what? You know, ETFs can avoid capital gains taxes? Yeah. You know, Vanguard and State Street and these companies lobbied with the government that they have an exemption. So when Vanguard, you know, or when anybody changes the S&P and Lulu's added and Activision's taken out, well, Activision was taken out of the S&P because it was acquired by Microsoft for a premium and our clients got a gain because we were Activision shareholders. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, in an ETF, in theory, I could have just traded Activision for another stock through what's called these custom baskets, very similar to a 1031 exchange in real estate. So you can exchange stocks for stocks and not create a capital gain. Hmm. So when that was explained to me, I go, boy, next time I find the next Tesla, I want to have this in my ETF because I don't want to have to pay the government millions and millions of dollars in taxes when I want to reduce that position, you know? Mm -hmm. So ETFs are super efficient. So when they were saying it's an active ETF, you can trade it every day, but not have to pay capital gains taxes. That was extremely attractive to me to put my own money. Sure. So I have, you know, like I have over 30,000 shares of the ETF myself, Mm. you know, just because like, I don't want to pay capital gains, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you buy my ETF right now, it's even better because we've locked in the losses from 21. So in our first year from June, from June 30th to June 30th of 21 to 22, we lost about 33%, about a third. Um, So it was pretty brutal. Um, But we realized those losses in our second year, um, from 22 to 23, June of 22, 23, we made about 11% in, in, in our ETF. And now we've started our third, uh, year, mm-hmm. um, in, in July 1st. And so if you buy the ETF today, you have like six, $7 of realized losses too, that you just get, you know? So like somebody else may have bought or sell the ETF at different times. You only pay taxes when you buy and sell the ETF. But if you buy the ETF itself, everything I trade right now, I still have seven, eight dollars of losses in the price. So I can even take profits on anything irrelevant of even the other. So there's just like no capital gains. Right. Whereas in a mutual fund, it gets passed through the, the Yeah, you get passed through passed right through. now. It's October. Right. Right. If you're in American funds, mutual funds, you can get a huge bill because yep. people take profits, right? Yep. And 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 what we figured out was you lose two to three percent of your return annually to taxes in a taxable account. So just by using the ETF, it might cost you 75 basis points, but typically in up markets, it's saving you two to 3% in taxes. Yeah. I mean, we use, we, we use them only for specific bond funds primarily and a little bit in the, uh, in the international area. But other than that, we use ETFs. Right. And, and ETFs give, give you exposure. So like, if you want exposure to technology, you know, climate and the consumer, were the ETF. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Symbol of what? Um, now, G- it's GK. unfortunate those sectors have been under enormous pressure from the Fed for now two years. You know what I mean? But, which is the entire time we've been doing this. But right. I'm a long-term investor, and yeah. I know once the cycle ends, we're going to just kill it. Yeah. We're just going to kill it. Yeah. So we were up 24% this year up until, you know, rates went to 5% on the 10-year, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. That, and now we're still up, you know, like 10% or so. So, you know, it's like we're having a good year, you know, mostly – and, you know, it's just, we're really interest rate sensitive. There's no other spin to it. Yeah, I hear. All right, we're going to end it there. Ross Garber, so GK, people could buy it on any yeah. platform, right? Yeah. And and and, the, and then the third thing was also uh, oh. for scalability of our business. Ah. 
you know, one of the issues I have is I actually do manage individual client accounts. You know, I personally manage over 200 million for my clients. Our firm is at 2.4 billion mm. in assets under management. And so like if a client comes in and we own, let's say 25 to 30 stocks that we're actively invested in, and especially if they're smaller clients, using the ETF is super efficient. You know, trying to manage, you know, $300,000 account with 30 stocks, it just doesn't make sense when you're a firm like ours. And so the ETF is also for efficiency for our firm. So our basic philosophy is index plus alpha. So, so we buy the S&P basically, and then we layer it on with 30 other stocks that we think are great, Yeah, you know, right. And it's not much more to that. And then we build a balance based off your risk tolerance, you know, smart. Smart, yeah. smart. So the ETF makes it super efficient to manage money, especially for clients with less than a million dollars. All right. Well, Ross Gerber, Gerber Kawasaki, we're going to put the information on how to get in touch with you over on the Discipline Investor over on the show notes, episode number 839. As always, great to uh, spend time with you and, and have a, a conversation. It's always entertaining, my friend. No, thank you. I always enjoy it too. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Hey, that was fun. <laughs> what a good time with Ross, don't you think? That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the Discipline Investor Podcast. I had a good time with Ross. Uh, lots to discuss. A lot was discussed. Lies to digest in our conversation there. But what a great, great, uh, broad-based, impactful discussion that I think is uh, kind of, uh, I think we, we, we blended well real there. Uh, really good. Well, thanks for joining me. And uh, I'll see you again uh, next week. Thanks. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 